0: Let's get into the word this morning. Let me pray. Almighty God, we thank you for coming into your house today. We thank you, Father, for the worship that we've been able to bath in this morning, to dwell in the words that speak to us about what you, Jesus, our Saviour, has done on the cross and we thank you now as we open up your holy word, as we conclude a series that we've been in. Lord God, I pray that you would speak because your servants are listening. We want to hear what you have to say to us today, Lord God Almighty, that we can apply these words into our lives today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone says? Amen. Alrighty. Well, this morning we are concluding our summer sermon series. It's been entitled... The quest from the book of Ecclesiastes. And our theme, our key verse in this series has been chapter 7, verse 24. How can anyone discover what life means? It's a good question, isn't it? Because did you know that 75% of young adults today say they are unsure of their purpose in life 50% of young adults say that there is absolutely no value to any human life let that sink in so life has lost its meaning because we're living today in the results of a culture that has actually unanchored itself from God's word And so our culture today is just floating aimlessly with no point of reference towards morality, truth, identity or meaning. And so the final message in this series from Ecclesiastes chapter 12 is the quest concludes with Christ. This morning we're going to look at Christ the Creator, Christ the Communicator and Christ the Commander of all things. And get a greater understanding that our meaning, our purpose in life is found in glorifying God and worshipping Him alone. So firstly the quest concludes with Christ the Creator. The very first verse in chapter 12. I was going to make the whole message about this verse, but I've expanded in to preach the whole text. It begins in verse 1. Remember your creator in the days of your youth. Now that word creator, yeah, it's the Hebrew word boror. And it's the same word that takes us all the way back to the foundation of God's word in Genesis 1.1. And that word creator, it's plural, yeah? More than one. And so it's a picture here, straight from the get-go, of the Trinity of God. Absolutely essential to understand the Trinity in your Christian faith. Some of you uh, might remember I've taught you how to explain the Trinity to people. Because it's a word that doesn't appear in the Scriptures, but it certainly appears... Father, Son, and Holy Spirit throughout the Word of God. Some people will say, well, you know, Andrew, you can explain it like, you know, a grandfather and a father and a son. But if you take one of those out, you've still got two other people, haven't you? Or what about, you know, water? Water, ice, vapour. But if you take one of them out, you've still got water, haven't you? The way to continually explain the Trinity to people is space. We've got space in this room, haven't we, yeah? We've got width, we've got depth, we've got height. But if you take one of those away, if you bring the ceiling down to the floor, apart from a whole lot of squashed people, flat as pancakes, we no longer have space. The space is gone. If you bring the walls in, we no longer have space. And I want you to understand that the Trinity is absolutely essential to the Christian faith, because without the Trinity, we do not have the Christian God of the Bible who is able to save us. The foundation will be missing. Take you back to Christmas Eve of 1968. The Apollo 8 had just come around the dark side of the moon and it was heading home to Earth when in the window it got for the first time this image of Earth. Before this, we had never seen the rock that we live on from outer space and what it actually looks like. But looking for words to express what they had seen in the window, they didn't go to Einstein's words... They didn't go to Darwin. They didn't go to Shakespeare. They went to the word of God. And from Genesis 1, 1 to 10, they recited the words of Scripture from a Bible that was provided by the Gideons. And we get to that second verse, don't we? And it says that the earth was void and empty. And when you think about that, that's a real sort of a symbolic picture of people's lives today when they take the creator out of his creation. They're living lives today that are void and empty because it has no meaning without a maker. So you can imagine billions of people around the world hearing the word of God echoing from outer space. In the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth. It was an image that was turned into a postage stamp with those words, In the beginning, God. I was trying to think this week, can you imagine something like that happening in our culture today? National Geographic reported on the event and they said this, the Apollo 8 mission captured a photograph of Earth from space that forever changed the way we saw ourselves. Folks, I think the wonder of creation should forever change the way that we see our creator. Our creator God is Christ. But there's more to remember, isn't there, from this scripture. We go to Genesis 1.27. So God created man in his own image. Whenever you see the word man in the Hebrew, it's the Hebrew word Adam. Okay, It's a generic term for humankind. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And so because we are image bearers of God himself, created in his image, we've got this purpose, haven't we? To reflect, to reveal, to represent him in the world that he created. So there's no room in the creation story for any form of evolution. We are not the result of some coincidental cosmic accident you have not been created from a single cell organism that has evolved over millions of years you see you're more than matter you matter to your maker the almighty listen to what c.s ruiz once wrote there are no ordinary people you have never talked to a mere mortal It is immortals whom you joke with, work with, marry, snub and exploit. Church, there is dignity in every single human being who is created in the image of God. You've never looked into the eyes of someone that doesn't matter to your maker. And yet, did you know that statistically... Uh, when it talks about you know remembering your Creator in the days of your youth, that 95% of people come to Christ before the age of 50. Most of those will come to Christ before the age of 30. So I thought we'd have a little test this morning. How many you can raise your hands? How many came to Christ before the age of 20? Raise your hand. All right, put your hands down. How many before the age of thirty? Raise your hands. All right. How many between the age of thirty and fifty? Raise your hands. That's a pretty good number. All right. Here we go. How many of you came to Christ after the age of fifty? Five. Five. All right. Whilst we've got everybody here. How many of you haven't come to Christ yet? (laughs) I like to know the audience. I like to know where everyone's at. But we see that, don't we? It's in the time of our youth. You know, I think about it like Christmas, yeah? Kids at Christmas, they are excited. And you know, when you're young and you're youthful, yeah? You still have that that idea of believing in the impossible, yeah? Yeah? uh there's there's something that you know uh the visible the invisible can be visible when you're young there's something about believing in christ before we get cynical old bitter and twisted with the world i said to my wife this week i said sharon i think i'm going to be a grumpy old man she said what do you mean you think So remember your creator in the days of your youth. Because reading on, it says this, Before the days of trouble come. So remember him before it's too late, and the years approach when you will say, I find no pleasure in them, before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars grow dark, and the clouds return after the rain. So as we're getting older, we have this fading capacity. Within us, don't we? Getting older, you've got to deal with the reality of life. And then Solomon from verses 3 to 7, I think gives us this, uh, probably the, the most imaginative description of old age found anywhere in literature. He talks about this dwelling place, this place where we dwell, this body that we have right now that is literally falling apart. Either yours is, or it's about to be. If you live long enough, this is the outcome. Let me read to you from verse 3. How many of you read the passage in preparation for this morning? Yeah, yeah, a couple of you, good, good. For a few of you, you might be a little surprised. Verse 3, when the keepers of the house tremble, what's he talking about there? He's talking about Parkinson's, before we knew what Parkinson's was. And the strong men stoop. You ever seen as you get older, people seem to get a little shorter, their backs just don't hold up the way that they used to. When the grinders cease because they are few. You're losing all your teeth. How many of you got falsies? Don't raise your hands, please. Don't raise your hands. And those looking through the windows grow dim. Now your vision's starting. You know, as you get older, you know, the glasses get thicker and thicker and thicker. And your vision deteriorates when the doors of the street are closed and the sound of grinding fades. Hearing aids, anybody? (laughs) When men rise up at the sound of birds. Have you ever noticed old people, they get up at the crack of dawn, don't they? You know, we used to, in Adelaide, we used to live next to uh, a, an elderly couple. They were in their 90s. Four o'clock in the morning, the light would go on and it would shine right into my bedroom. I was going to say something then, but uh, I was quite glad when they passed away. But all their songs grow faint. Have you ever noticed as you're getting older, your vocal cords aren't what they used to be? You know, at the moment, I can, I can belt it out from the front, but maybe when I'm in my 80s, you might think, I remember that guy used to be out of... But not now. The voice fades. When, the, when men are afraid of heights and of dangers in the streets. You see, as you get older... You become more insecure, don't you? You know, when I was young, it was like, get out of my way! Now I think, oh, i better get out of the way. (laughs) It's quite frightening, isn't it? I don't know about you, but uh, there's a lot of vandalism, a lot of break-ins going on in our community today, isn't there? You know, I get up at five in the morning, I'm looking out the window. People are broken in all around us. There's something insecure that probably ten years ago... I'd have thought to myself, well, if they come in here, look out the way. Now, some of us are looking to get security cameras and safes and all sorts of things to protect us as we get older. Reading on, it says, when the almond tree blossoms. What do you think that means? When your hair goes white. (laughs) But this is the best one of all. And the grasshopper drags himself along and desire no longer is stirred. When the sex drive is gone, ladies and gentlemen, it's time to wrap it up. <laughs> then man goes to his eternal home and mourners go about the streets. Reading on. Remember him before the silver cord is severed or the golden bowl is broken. It's describing again this, this, how, how fragile life is. And the reality is, No one gets out of here unscathed before the pitcher is shattered at the springs. Now I've got some prostate problems. (laughs) Or the wheel is broken at the well when the heart stops beating and the dust returns to the ground it came from and the spirit returns to God who gave it. And it is all over Red Rover. Folks, the reality is we ain't what we used to be. It's a description of the present reality that no one here is meant to last forever. Solomon is saying, come to your saviour while you still can. Commit yourself to your creator. Death is for sure... But faith is forever. And that's why we have this great verse from 2 Corinthians 5, don't we? There, Paul writes, Now we know that if this earthly body we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. And so we know that this is just a mortal, temporary body. We know because Jesus Christ died and rose again that we will be clothed one day with an immortal, permanent body. Meanwhile, it says, we groan. As every time I read that, longing to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling. So, how you respond to Christ. ...who walked the earth... ...is a lot more important... ...to how we respond... ...to man who walked the moon... ...amen... ...so remember your creator... ...commit your life to Christ... ...while you can... ...for eternity... ...meaning... ...from your maker... ...next... in the quest... ...it concludes with Christ the communicator... ...verses 9 through to 12... ...not only was the teacher wise... But also he imparted knowledge to the people. He pondered and searched out and set in order many proverbs. The teacher searched to find just the right words. And what he wrote was upright and true. But Solomon knew that he didn't get his wisdom from the world. He got it from his creator, God. Saying, the words of the wise are like goads. It means a, a long stick with a, a, an iron uh, point. And when you think about the word in that, the whole idea is that the word, it it pokes and it prods and it pricks our conscience as we sit under its authority. They're collected sayings like firmly embedded nails given by one shepherd. Be warned, my son, of of anything in addition to them. It's a great picture, isn't it? Yeah? Yeah? We know that the one shepherd that he's speaking about here is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the good shepherd. And when you think about nails being embedded, they are the nails that embedded him on the cross. And that there is no other name by which we can be saved. Don't let other people tell you out there. There There's other ways to come to salvation. Jesus Christ is the only way. Finally, verse 12. Of the making many books, there is no end, and much study wearies the body. Of course, the establishment of uh, writing is the hallmark of civilization. 3,500 BC, books were first written on clay tablets. Imagine uh, the kids carrying one of them in their backpacks to school. A clay tablet. And then it went on to papyrus and then into leather And then, uh, once they had that alphabetic script in Israel around the second millennium BC, it brought about no end of possibility for writings. And of course, today, we we move on 5,000 years from the writing of Ecclesiastes. We now live in the information age. Today, information is doubling every single two years. But with more information doesn't necessarily come more wisdom. Because, you see, we live in a society today that's unanchored from God's Word, drifting further and further away, so we actually lack the wisdom to know how to properly apply God's Word to our lives, to bring them the meaning that God requires. Of course, I'm not knocking education. Education is critical, isn't it? But if you remove God from education, what do you have Left, So it's really important that all people who are educated and are educators actually continue to bring God into the hallways of higher education. But more than everything that you learn here on earth, the best education is a biblical education. Because it's a biblical education that you need to learn in order to receive eternal life. So just as our Creator simply spoke, remember Genesis? He simply spoke, and all this ex nihilo out of nothing was created. So God created the world by his word. Solomon got the message from one shepherd. It was a shepherd that he trusted. Uh, he shepherds the sheep, and the sheep today, we know are you and I? Bah <laughs> John 10. 27 Jesus said and the sheep know my voice you see we know God's voice through his word there are so many competing voices out there in the world isn't there go this way Andrew no go that way no do this I'd like you to do that we've got to get that direction and guidance from God's word so our lives don't drift so we're continually anchored You know, an anchor holds a vessel and it's the word of God that we need to anchor uh, our lives to in order for us to hold firmly in place. I think people are drifting further and further away from meaning in life. I mean, I started with that quote, you know, and it's pretty tragic, isn't it, to think that 75% of young people today don't know the meaning of life, don't have purpose, don't know where they're going tomorrow simply because they haven't nailed their lives to the cross of Jesus Christ. In 2 Timothy 3.16, it's a great verse, isn't it? All scripture is God-breathed. It means every single word that we read in the Bible is God-inspired. It comes right from the heart of God. You know, where God breathed life into us and we became a living being. And because of the Spirit of God, when we read the Word of God, it becomes alive to us. It becomes active. It becomes purposeful and meaningful in the lives that we live today. Solomon received inspiration to write these words. And it's the inspiration of God. It's the breath of God. It's the spoken word of God that sets the Bible apart. It's why you can trust the Bible beyond any other literature or any other religious book. Because there's a phrase in the Bible that doesn't exist anywhere else. It's actually used 2,600 times by God Himself. And it simply says, Thus says the Lord. And God spoke. And when God speaks, you can trust his word. It's a sentence, the very first sentence, the very first chapter, the very first book of the Bible, it simply says, God spoke. It's straightforward in its meaning, isn't it? And yet it's complex and it's compelling. You know, that statement, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, that is a factual statement but it requires faith to believe. We live in a world today full of skeptics and atheists and evolutionists and unbelievers, doubters, a variety of different forms of people who will tell you how in the world can you believe in, in one God? How can you believe in a God who created all of this out of nothing? How can you believe in a, in a God who, who created Adam and Eve? How can you believe in original sin? How do you believe in a serpent that speaks? How do you believe in, uh, in uh, Noah and the ark? How do you believe in a global flood or uh, in the Tower of Babel? But if Genesis is not true, then the whole Bible is suspect, isn't it? You see, if you remove the foundation of the Word of God that everything else is built on... If you can't believe that Adam and Eve are real people, then what chance have you got to believe that Jesus is a real person? So Genesis either explains it all or it doesn't explain it at all. Erwin uh, Lutz in his uh, book, uh, No Reason to Hide, standing for Christ in a collapsing culture, he writes this, in a culture with an ever narrowing definition of tolerance, Christians can no longer stay silent about the divide between the Bible's truths and the world's lies. So as you increase your knowledge of God through his word, God increases your responsibility to live out that word. You see, we are supposed to be living Bibles so that people can actually read the pages of our lives and be able to come to faith through Jesus Christ. Someone put it this way, you're either a Bible or you're a libel. Did you know 75% of young people in schools today, they're actually taught that Jesus Christ isn't a real person? Let alone the fact that God sent his son Jesus from heaven to earth at a time we call Christmas, conceived of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary, so he could enter the world the way that the first Adam did, free of sin. He lived a sinless life. He then died on the cross for our sins. He was buried. He then rose again with that immortal body, transformed after three days. He walked the earth for 40 days, appeared to over 500 people before he ascended back to heaven and is coming again. Amen. Amen. So they ignore the communication from Christ, our Creator, for works of other wisdom. But there's a fundamental question that every single person at the very end of it all has going to have to ask. What is going to be the final authority in my life? Because the answer to that question will determine each person's eternal destiny. So we need to be people who demonstrate lives that are anchored, that are nailed to the cross, that are embedded in God's word so that we can communicate what uh, 1 uh, Peter 3.15 tells us. In basic terms, always be ready to give an answer to people who ask for the faith that you profess to have. So remember your creator. Read his communication. And finally... The quest concludes with Christ the commander. Verse 13 and 14. Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God. Whenever I uh, see that word fear, uh, I always like to encourage people to remember revere. Revere God. Worship God and you do not have to worry And keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. So if Christ is your creator, you demonstrate that by keeping his commandments. So the God we meet in the very first verse in the Bible, our creator, we are called to worship him now just as the angels do in heaven and we will forever and ever and ever. In Revelation 4 verse 11 it says Worthy are you, O Lord and God, to receive glory and honour and power for you created all things and by your will they exist and were created. Verse 14 wraps it all up. For God will bring every deed into judgment including every hidden thing whether it is good or evil. So our creator communicates that there is a judgment to come. So he encourages the reader to remember your creator whilst you can or you will forever be in regret. But we're to remember that God is the judge, yeah? God is the judge of every single human being. We are not the judge of people's eternal salvation. We are not to condemn people as being outside of God's grace and love and forgiveness. That is God's job when people get from this side to the spiritual side of life. But there is one statement, I think that is uh, uh, quite often from Christ that is quite often quoted, misquoted, Christians and non-Christians alike, and that is this phrase, judge not. So often we think that means we are not to judge anybody in any circumstances at all. But we know from Jesus' spoken word in Matthew 7 verse 1, he says, do not judge and you will not be judged. What is he saying there? He's saying by the same standard that you Do judge, you will be judged. Folks, contrary to popular opinion, Jesus did appoint us to be judges. But we've got to understand that in context. When you think about what Jesus said, it's on the Sermon on the Mount. He's actually speaking to his disciples. So these words are not for everybody. These are actually a code of conduct for Christians alone. It's not our job to go around pointing out everybody's faults and condemning them like we somehow sit in the place of God. But it is our job to hold brothers and sisters who confess to be Christians to evaluate what they say with how they live. The Apostle Paul said it to us in 1 Corinthians 5 verse 12 when he wrote these words. What business is it of mine to judge those outside of the church? You see, those outside of the church, they already stand condemned because they have not surrendered their life to their Saviour, Jesus Christ. Are you not to judge those inside? Now, not for condemnation, but for evaluation. Is the life that they are living... Standing up to the confession that they make through faith in Jesus Christ. To realise that they're never outside of God's grace, never outside of God's forgiveness. Because you know what? The same standard I'm using is going to be used on me. But they can be forgiven of their sins and come back into fellowship. A good way to think about it is to remember that God doesn't judge a person's salvation until they die. So neither should we. So if death and judgment is inevitable, it's not wise to ignore it. Hebrews 9 verse 27 says, Man is destined to die once and after that to face the judgment. In Romans 2 verse 6, it simply says, God will give to each person according to what he has done. Jesus, in Matthew 25, gives us a parable. Yeah, The good shepherd, he talks about the sheep and the goats. And in there, he talks about there's going to be a final judgment where eternal destinies are going to be decided. Jesus makes it really, really clear that no one is going to escape a judgment of some kind. Sheep and goats would be familiar. It's a familiar thing for us, isn't it? Yeah. In the Middle East, when a sheep was shorn, it was very difficult to tell the difference between a sheep and a, a goat. They also sounded very similar The sheep and the goats, of course, here are two groups of people who both confess Jesus as Lord. But Jesus says at the very end, at the judgment, you will know who you really are. You see, there'll be sheep and there will be goats sitting here today. And in Matthew 25, 34, it says, Then the king will say to those on his right, the sheep, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since when? The creation of the world. And in Romans 2, verse 16, uh, the apostle Paul writes, This will take place on the day, referring to the day of judgment, when God will judge man's secret thoughts uh, through Jesus Christ as my gospel Declares. So there's a date. It's on God's calendar. It cannot be postponed. The date cannot be changed. It cannot be moved. There's a date that each and every one of us is going to have to front up before God either for commendation or condemnation. You see, it's not about what you say, it's about how it reflects in how you live. How many people do you know say, yeah, 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 I believe in Jesus. And then they're off doing all sorts of immoral stuff, shall I just say that. And so their confession doesn't match up with their lives. Jesus says you will know them by their fruit. You will know them by their deeds, by their actions, by their words. What they say will match up with what they do. And you'll know whether you're a sheep or a goat, it's a terrifying thought, isn't it? To think that you're going to have to stand one day before the great judge and be judged for what you have done. But I've got to let you know on a little secret. I ain't going to be standing before the great white throne of God. I ain't going to the supreme court. Do you know why? Because I know I'm guilty. I know of all the things that I've done. I know of the sins that I have committed. And so... Years ago, I got the services of a great defense lawyer. His name is Jesus Christ. And I asked him to come and defend me. I confessed to him everything I've ever done wrong, every sin I've ever committed. And I asked if he could help me because I can't help myself. I can't save myself from this fate. And he said, because I've confessed to him what I've done, he will defend me before the judge. I always think of it like being in the district court before you've got to go to the Supreme Court. So there I am sitting in the witness box. The devil, he is the prosecutor, yeah? God, the judge is standing there with the gavel about to announce me guilty. Everything the devil has said that I've done, I've done. I can't deny it. But then, my defense lawyer, Jesus comes to the bench. He says, judge, who just happens to be his dad. That's always helpful. <laughs> You've got to have somebody on the inside, don't you? He says, dad, I died for this one. I paid the price for his sins on the cross. And when God looked at me, He no longer saw the filth of my sin. He saw his son Jesus Christ, who has died in my place, who has taken all of that sin upon himself. He has paid the price, and the gavel goes down not guilty, not pardoned, not guilty. You see, if you are pardoned from your sins, you still have a rap sheet, yeah? But we know when we are found not guilty, there is no longer any evidence of anything that you have ever done wrong. The Bible says as far as to east as to west, I will remember your sins no more. I am free to go, free, free at last. I'm free to live in the security that Jesus Christ has given me. And if you haven't done that yet, I strongly suggest you do. So my creator has communicated what he commands so that I won't be condemned but commended by Christ for my commitment to his commandments. So we remember our creator. We read his communication And we revere his commands. Now we're going to come to just what I think is the most natural conclusion of any message you can get. We're going to come to the communion table this morning. Just simply want to invite you to open up your elements now. This time is really a response from you to the word of God that's just been spoken. Today as we take these elements, we remember that God created this bread to eat in remembrance of our creator. He communicated his love by nailing his son Jesus Christ to the cross. And he commands us to eat and to drink these elements, remembering his son until Christ comes again. In a moment, I'm going to invite you to eat this bread and I'm just going to give you a few minutes just to reflect on the word of God and maybe you need to get right with God this morning. Maybe there's some things that you haven't confessed to God. Maybe there's some things that God's been speaking to you about. Maybe you've been deflecting away from God's word and living more in the world. And and this is a time, this is a time where remember the grace and forgiveness and the love of God. There is nothing that you can do that cannot draw you back and anchor your life to that cross. So let's eat together. if you're able would you please stand let us pray Almighty God Father, Son and Holy Spirit we thank you for your creation and we remember today that you have created us in your image we thank you that we are reflectors of that image into the world We thank you that you do not make junk. We thank you that each one of our lives are important and valuable to you. We thank you that you, through the cross of Jesus Christ, bring our lives purpose and meaning. That we're not aimlessly floating through, but we know a Saviour Jesus Christ who came from heaven to earth to die for us, that we might know life and life eternal. We thank you today uh, for the truth that is communicated to us by your spirit in your word. We thank you that we can trust that word to see us safely all the way home. God, today we thank you For all that you are, all that you mean, all that you do, all that you will continue to do until Jesus Christ comes again. And we pray this in his name. Amen. Let's drink, remembering our Creator. The worship team, if you'd like to come forward, cups will be collected. Thank you, John. We're going to uh, respond to the Word of God now in a time of worship. We've got a couple of songs to uh, sing to conclude this morning.